We're now in our um, third week of the Easter season and in a series entitled Following Jesus, a series that just um, takes us to seven different truths about what it means to follow and what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ by looking at who it is that he was and what it is that that meant as he lived life. And and the first week we looked at uh, an account in Matthew about Jesus calling Matthew a sinner, a tax collector, something that he was heavily criticized for, and yet something that he knew was about his purpose. It was who he was to be. It was his heavenly Father's will. We understand and grasp that here at Rehoboth, part of our mission statement, winning people for Christ. And truly, if we're going to follow Jesus, that would be a part of who it is that we are, both personally and then together as a body. Last week, we looked at truth in John 15, specifically verses 5 to 8. Truth about following Jesus by remaining in him, staying connected to him, so that we would go and we would grow deep. That's his desire. That's his hope. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We have that as a part of our mission statement too, equipping. So equipping ourselves, equipping others, so that we'll go and grow deep. We'll be in his presence. We'll walk with him constantly and learn and grow and be filled. Why? So that there would be a kingdom harvest. So there'll be others that that know Jesus and are equipped and grow in him as well. And today we're going to look at another truth. Something that was a part of Jesus' life. Something that he did constantly, always. We read about it all throughout the Gospels. Something that he understood was something that he... that That was what it is that he needed to do constantly each and every day, and he did it in a variety of ways. He did it by himself, he did it with the disciples, he did it in groups, he did it at the temple, and that is to worship his heavenly Father. To worship his heavenly Father. And Jesus' life, as we read it and we think about those times of worship, clearly illustrates gives us an example, demonstrates of who it is that we need to be too then if we're going to be in a right relationship with God and we're going to follow Jesus Christ personally and together. And this morning I want to look at three different passages that speak about worship. And the first one is found in John 4, verses 21 to 24. So I want to invite you to read it with me. This is about it. There's a little emphasis from God right there. Open up those Bibles. This is about an encounter that Jesus had with a woman again who wasn't really looking for God, but found him. Here's the life-changing word of God. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet the time is coming and is now come 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let this word of God be in your hearts and live from day to day. So what I just read is really a part of um, the encounter that Jesus had with this woman, and it's really kind of like a side conversation. I don't know if you're familiar with the story, and you, maybe you're glancing at it now, but Jesus um, and his followers are going through Samaria. They stop at, the, uh, at, the, at a town, and um, there's always the wells were on the outside of the town, and so Jesus stops there, the, the Disciples continue to go into town to try to find food. But Jesus stops there, and you could say, well, maybe he stopped there because he was really thirsty or maybe because he was tired. I would submit to you, no, he stopped there because of what was going to happen. He was going to meet this woman at the well. Very intentional. It was a God-appointed time, and he knew it. And he sees her coming from a long ways away. And then he begins to engage in conversation with her. And a couple of things about that. You know, we, we looked in the first week about Jesus talking with Matthew and then having dinner with him. I don't know if you remember this, but I, I pointed out that Jesus broke a rule doing that. Well, he breaks more rules this time. Two very specific rules. One, and we know this even today, um, about is just something that, that just doesn't happen or shouldn't happen unless you're looking for a hookup or something, and Jesus certainly wasn't looking for that, is you just don't, as, as a man, and I think of myself as a mayor, I just don't go around talking in different places to women I don't know. Just one of those things, right? And that was very true here. Men did not approach women to engage in conversation. That was one rule. The other rule was this, Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. Maybe you're aware of that relationship. Jews always thought of themselves as being much better. The Samaritans were impure. And so it was just one of those things that just didn't happen. They looked down on them. They didn't engage in conversation with them. And so for Jesus to do that, the woman senses right away, and he, she actually says to him earlier in the conversation, why is it that you're talking to me? Don't you know that this is wrong? You're not supposed to be doing this. But Jesus does, because he was on a mission. He engages her in conversation, and soon after he engages her in conversation, you can start to, to read about that. He has a very specific intent he gets into a little bit about her personal life. He asks her to go get her husband. She says, I don't have one. And maybe you remember what he says. You're right. You've had five, and the one that you're living with now is not your husband. Ooh. He shares truth with her, something that um, demonstrated that he was different. She says, sir, this is in verse 19, I perceive or see that you're a prophet. You see, she's saying I, you have to be somebody special because otherwise you wouldn't have known about that, about me. We've never met. We've never had a conversation. 
So Jesus shares that truth. And here's where it, it moves to really kind of like this side conversation. And Jesus always is, he's even taking this side conversation because he's got something in mind. He has a purpose. He's going to reveal who God is to this woman. But she begins the side conversation. Why? Because she wants to take the focus off of herself. Change the subject. Ever been there? Ever done that? It's a very common coping mechanism, defense mechanism. Somebody says something that you don't like or that you don't want to talk about, and so you artfully try to shift the focus and change the subject. That's what she does. And she speaks and says something that leads to our truth about worship today in this particular passage. She speaks about worshiping. She speaks about the Samaritans worshiping on a mountain, but the Jews worship in Jerusalem. And what she's saying there, she says, you, you claim that this place where this worship is God is in Jerusalem. We're worshiping on the mountain. What is she really asking him? in those words. She's asking him, well, who's right? Do you, the Jews, have it right? Is only true worship or worshiping God it only occurs in Jerusalem like you say it does? Or, or is it about worshiping on the mountain? Are we okay? She's actually asking a question or, or trying to get some clarification there, even if it's to change the subject. And what is it that Jesus says? He speaks about worship. And I would point you to what he says very specifically in verse 23. He's speaking about true worship, being worship in spirit and worship in truth. He says, yet a time is coming and it's now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. I want you to think about that for a minute. True worshipers, and these are the worshipers that the Father speaks. What is it that Jesus is saying back to her? She's seeking clarification about true worship. Who's got it right? Where does true worship occur? And what is Jesus' response? What is he saying when he's saying, True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. Are you tracking with it? Are you catching what it is that he's saying? He's saying, forget the debate about location. He's saying, where you worship doesn't matter. What matters is if you worship in spirit and in truth. That's what true worship is about. He says, you can argue all you want if you're going to worship over here or over there. For God, what matters is worship, right? Worshiping in spirit and in truth. Bring in your heart. The Samaritans had gotten it wrong. The Jews had gotten it wrong. Making a big deal over location. Jesus wants her to understand and know that worship is about worshiping God, opening up your heart, experiencing his presence. Think about that. God is spirit. That's what he's talking about. 
We understand Jesus says that in other places too, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, right? It's about God's presence. About his presence here this morning. That's what makes true worship for you, I trust and hope. That you sought, that, that you wanted to be in God's presence and you opened up your heart to that presence. Truth about being right with him in a right relationship. That's what creates true worship. Obeying God, following God, following Jesus. Now you could take that and you could expand that. Think about true worship. He addresses location, but when he says true worship is about worshiping in spirit and truth, that eliminates everything else in terms of the parameters that we put on worship, doesn't it? Does it mean then that, that worship is dependent on who's leading it? Does it mean that worship is dependent on what it is that you do? The elements and the parts of worship? No. You see what Jesus is saying? It's just the Heavenly Father wants true worshipers. Worshippers who worship in spirit and in truth and who aren't too terribly worried about what it looks like, what happens. The way the preacher preaches, the songs that we sing, he just wants your heart. He wants you to be there. And he wants you to seek him and be filled with his spirit as you worship. Are you hearing what Jesus is saying? Now, I don't know about you, um, but I, I have been able to worship God all over the place in all different kinds of settings. And I just share that because that illustrates, I think, even think of Jesus. He would go off on a mountain. Do you think that he had an opportunity? Do you think he was opening up his heart and truly worshiping God, his heavenly Father, all by himself? Of course he was. The times that he spent with his disciples and, and teaching and praying and learning and the times that they shared together. Was he worshiping God with them in that moment? Of course he was. And then certainly in the temple, as he taught and he was there with other Jews, and again, I thought of that myself. I, I, I have worshipped God and experienced powerful and holy worship when I've been in churches that didn't have any instruments. Just some singing. Somebody who shared truth. Holy, powerful moments. I've been able to worship God half a world away, up on a mountain. Look down and I see the dirt. Some of the holiest worship I've ever had. With people I didn't even know, couldn't even speak the same language of. And yet God was present. It was so powerful. I can think of it and see it getting goosebumps right now. And I think of holy moments I've had out in the middle of the woods. Just him and me. See, brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, true worship 
It's about opening up our hearts to the very presence of God. That's the kind of worship that God wants. Jesus lived that example. He demonstrated and taught his followers what it meant to really worship his heavenly Father. And he shares that with that one statement with this woman because he wants her to know God and experience him. He wants her to worship his heavenly Father and to know who he is fully, completely. To worship in spirit and in truth. And you see it there, verse 24. There's another word that's included. God is spirit and his worshipers. What is, what's the next word? Do you have your Bibles open? Do you see it? Must worship in spirit and in truth. That's the key. Whenever worship becomes something other than that, we're missing the point. Jesus knew that, and he knew what God, his heavenly Father, taught, and had taught the Jews from the very beginning about what worship is and presence and person. Turn with me, if you will, to Exodus, Exodus 20, another truth about worship. Exodus 20, verses 1 to 8. Maybe you're familiar with this passage. It's where he gives the Ten Commandments. We're going to read the first four. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor animals, nor the aliens within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth to see all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Got a little bonus there with a few extra verses. You see what worship is by reading those and understanding the first four commandments? What are those first four commandments? Maybe it will help to take a look at them. We advance that to the next slide. Take a peek. First four commandments. To worship God and God alone. You shall have no other gods before me. Presence. Just what Jesus was speaking about. 
God and God alone is to be the object and the center and the focus of all of our worship. Conversely, don't make for yourselves any image in the form of anything in heaven, earth, seas, not bowing down to them or worshiping them. Second commandment. So God and God alone and worship of nothing else. No idols, anything, anybody. Commandment number three, not misusing the name of God. Is it taking the name of God in vain? Reverence, awe, understanding what that name, that name uh, signifies, who we're speaking about. And then lastly, um, fourth commandment, remembering the Sabbath day, keeping it holy, setting a day aside for worship, just as you have done this morning, keeping it holy, observing it, recognizing that it's a day that God has given to us to worship him. A number of different things, all pointing to one thing or one person, that would be God. And I want you to, to, to think about that, what it means to have true worship in terms of worshiping God alone. And think about your worship of him, who he is to you and what that means. And what it is that God calls us to. You know, it's one of the incredible things. Everybody has an innate desire within them to worship something or someone. It's who it is that God planted in our hearts as human beings. And in just a moment, a couple examples of that. But I want to submit to you that this is something, worshiping God alone, that the Jews got terribly wrong. And so is the church today. You see, somehow, some way, worship has become about so much more than simply God. I just want you to keep thinking about that and wondering about that. See, for, for the, the Jews, they had made it about other things. They had over a thousand rules for worship. How many steps you could take, places, what you brought, what you wore, et cetera, et cetera. You could, it went on ad infinitum. Even location, as Jesus talked to the woman at the well about. You see, they made it about all these other things, and in the midst of it all, they sucked the life out of spirit, God's presence, and what it is that he wanted worship to be for them. A time to come into his presence, to unite with him, to celebrate, to praise the Lord. True worship, spirit, truth. They had made it something that it was never meant to be. So I have a question for you. Or two, could that possibly be true about people today? About the church? I don't know. Who or what do we worship? Think about that in the living of your life.
Be honest. Ask yourself some hard questions. Is it God alone, like it should be? Or are there other things, maybe, that you worship and that you value and that you pursue? Great way to determine that. Think about time. Think about finances. All kinds of things that are indicators in terms of what is most important in our hearts and in our lives. What do we worship? And what do we make our worship out to be? Think about that in the living of life. And again, remember, um, a lot of times when we start speaking about worship, we really, this is one of the ways we misconstrue it. We focus right on this particular time, this moment. Sunday morning, 9.30, worship. It's a worship service. But it's not the totality of what God hopes is in our life regarding worship. He wants us to worship constantly, always. More on that in just a moment. But even think of this time. I mean, is your worship confined to one hour? One hour a week? Is, is your worship of God confined to what it is that you think needs to happen here, now? What you want or what you like? Is worship any less if that doesn't happen? You see, and that's, that's, that's the focus when we think about worship of God alone. See, the Jews had flipped it around. They made it about them. But it's not. Worship is about God and God alone. Coming into his presence, spirit, truth. Jesus was just sharing with that woman at the well what was true and what God had wanted and desired and wrote four commandments about. The first four. This is who you're to be. This is how you're to worship. Me alone. No idols of anything or anyone in your worship of me. think if we're all honest in ways, maybe different ways, maybe in some of the same ways, we could admit that we've reduced what God intended worship to be in our hearts and in our lives. That he wants it to be so much more than what we make it. Because he wants us to know he's so much more than who we make him. Some things to really think about. David was a person who God called a man after his own heart simply because of what he had in it for him. I want to read for you the last passage. It's a beautiful passage. I just read it in my devotions a couple weeks ago. First Chronicles 16. And it shares emphatically and beautifully, I think, what worship is meant to be. And in this passage, David is celebrating. He's worshiping God because the Ark of the Covenant has come back to Jerusalem. 
And that represented the very presence of God. And so he's, he's celebrating that, that they were cognate of God and his presence and needing to be with him and him needing to be with them. And, and so he breaks out. There's a big, huge celebration, lasts for seven days. And what you're going to hear is part of his psalm of thanks, his prayer of thanksgiving that he gave to God. It's pretty much all of the 16th chapter, but we're going to read verses 23 to 36. So, so hear the word of the Lord again as he speaks about worship. This is powerful. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and worthy of praise. He's to be feared above all gods, for the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It can't be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then the trees of the forest will sing. They'll sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to God, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God, our Father. Gather us and deliver us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. There is so much in these words about what worship is. Just a few powerful takeaways. One is, and hopefully you caught this, and it's things that have already been alluded, and if you're thinking about the, the example of Jesus, it's first that we can and should open our hearts to worship God anytime, anywhere. Did, did you catch that in the first couple of verses that I read? Sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation when? Day after day. Day after day. Verse 24, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Where you live, where you go to school, where you play, declare his glory. Worship the great Lord our God. You can do it anytime, anywhere. And in fact, the way that we live, so think of spirit and truth. The way that we live and the things that we do, how we do them, who we are in the midst of them, declare are a part of our worship of God. It's a lifestyle. And we live our lives either being thankful and grateful to God all of the time, wherever we're at, or we don't. You see what God is saying in terms of worship? That's how he wants you to worship him. Why? Because he's always with you. 
He wants to be with you and open heart. He wants to lead you and take you to great places. Have you be praising his name and understanding who he is each and every moment, day after day, constant. You know that catchphrase that we have, and about I actually had it um, asking me a number of different times, even too, are we going to live stream things? Well, God wants our worship to be live streamed in our lives. To always be going, always to be happening. Is that true? Think about it. What is your worship of God like on Wednesday? What is your worship of God like at work or at school? What is your worship of God like when your friends are with your family? What is your worship of God like when you're all by yourself? See? This is so powerful. Constantly, always. God wants to be your God each and every minute of each and every day. And to let your praise and your thanks flow. Second takeaway, all of God's creation is a witness to his majesty. I, I, I love these verses. I, I, I'm an outdoorsman. I like being outside. I look at this and I think about what I experience and what I see. Verse 31, let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the seas resound. Verse 32, and all that is in it, you always thought those waves were just like, <laughs> praising God. Let the fields be jubilant. You ever seen a field? I remember a couple of different ones. Were really striking to me. And I'm not really a flower guy. But a field that was just bursting with color. Bursting with color. Saying, God is a majestic creator. Trees of the forest will sing, wind whipping through them. See, God gives us creation as a witness of who it is that he is. All of those beautiful, majestic things in the world to speak of his presence, of his majesty, of his goodness, of his love for you and for me. An incredible takeaway. And it never stops. The waves never stop, do they? Always worshiping, always praising God with its beauty in, in all of creation. Good thing for us to remember and think about. Last one, worship is to be emotive and passionate. I love verses 28 and 29. I'm going to read them for you again. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nation, ascribe to the glory, the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And it's one of the things that um, David got in trouble with um, people too, even his own wife, because he was, he was just praising God uh, so much that um, some people thought he was a bit foolish. But he had it in his heart to worship the Lord. He was filled with his spirit and truth. And so he celebrated and he danced and he, he sang with all kinds of, we read in that, in that passage, with all of his might, all of his fiber, all of his being, he worshiped God. 
I think about that, not just in this time, but I think about that in the living of life. Is how we respond to God in terms of worship, in terms of the passion and enthusiasm that we bring, the emotions that flow out of us day in and day out. Does it signify and speak of the presence of God and our humility for him and our gratefulness for him? Real quick, too, an example. Think of this. How do people act when they're in the presence of somebody famous? Has anybody ever had a chance to meet somebody famous? Oh, a couple of you. Okay. <clears throat> I know one time um, my wife and I were in a restaurant in Muskegon, and, uh, and Tim Allen came in. And as soon as he came in, the whole, the whole atmosphere in the restaurant changed. All of a sudden, there's this huge buzz, right? And people were getting up. Poor guy. Couldn't even eat his dinner. And they went over, and they swarmed him. And people tend to act differently in the midst of, and I think of um, some of those clips, you know, rock groups, concerts, and people passing out, and woo, you know, all of that business. And people are so awestruck or speechless when somebody who is famous comes into the presence. I think about that, and then I think about, isn't that the way we're supposed to be in the presence of God? The creator of all things, to have awe and reverence for the Lord in our lives and in this place? Of course. And I think about how I act when I go to the big house. And I had the blessing when they, when they put, a, put a hurting on OSU the first time two years ago. It was mayhem. The whole stadium went crazy. I got video clips of it. You couldn't hear a thing. It was so loud. And people rushed the field. And they were going nuts. I mean, we, we beat the, you know, the Buckeyes. And then I think about worship. I think about emotions, and I think about praise, and I think about passion. Think about true worship, being in the presence of God. Who am I in those moments? What does it look like? What does it look like for you to have moments of true worship with the great Lord your God? Again, when you're all by yourself or here at this time. I get it. We all have different emotions. We express them differently. That's, that's okay. This is not about telling you you need to jump up and down and do cartwheels in the aisles. That's not what... Speaking about what's in your heart. And the praise that you have for him, yes, even in this moment. It's so powerful. It's so profound. In all of these things, thinking about following Jesus presents a challenge for us as we think about worship. To worship God alone, to worship God in spirit and in truth. And it's a challenge because I think Satan makes it really hard for us.
He wants to take our eyes off of Jesus and to focus on all other different kinds of things, our eyes off of him and who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to value and what we're supposed to worship. He's really good at it. Think about, again, I'll even throw out one other. Think about devotions, let alone Sunday worship. All kinds of things get in the way of that, right? Time. Can I make time? Do I do it every day? Do I have priorities? We're rushed. We're busy. We've got all this stuff going on in our lives. He's really good at raising up all different kinds of things to have us not worship God truly, openly, with all of our hearts, including, and most importantly, ourselves. He's really good at helping us believe and think that this life is all about yours truly. Worshiping God. You want to follow Jesus? You want to follow Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind? Then open up your heart and worship Him. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you. I praise you for your word and your truth. Lord, all of us, we're so humbled. We're able to celebrate communion, be in your presence, sing songs, pray, hear your truth, God. And we know that you are the difference maker in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, you gave us hearts, even those that don't know you, because of what they value, what they worship, what they praise. Lord, it's just misdirected. You want it to be towards you, to experience and discover your great love in fullness. And what it means to walk with you and be in your presence and see you do amazing and great things. To comfort, to care for, to wrap your arms around, to love on people who are hurting. God, you, there's so many things. For us to know it's all about you. It's all about you. That's why we have the capability to breathe and to live. Lord, bless us with hearts that desire to worship you and you alone in spirit and in truth. During our time together, and each and every minute of each and every day. In your holy and your precious name we